Today, I'm actually going to do what I would call an addendum or an uh, encore to my Blind Mind series. This will actually be the final message in relation to anything pertaining to mental health in what we've been talking about, especially with anxiety. I know that I've given a lot of messages on it, but I feel that this one particular message has to be talked about if we're going to really do justice to overcoming uh, stress and mental health issues. One of the number one top things that brings stress and anxiety to people's life is money. And it's something that we haven't talked about in the Blind Mind series up until this point. Uh, all of us desire it. All of us probably want more of it. And all of us in some way, shape, or form can really battle the stress and anxiety that comes with either not having enough or desiring to have more. Extreme poverty leads to stress, incredible amount of stress. However, most of us probably aren't in extreme poverty. However, there is a gap between those that live under the nation's median household income and those that live just above it. And even with that gap, people still experience the same measure or level of stress. The point is, is that you can make a little money or a lot of money and still be really stressed out, all right? And so the U.S. median household income is about $62,000 a year, just so that you know. The Corpus Christi average median household income in our city is about $13,000 less than that at about $49,000 a year. The average individual income for one person in Corpus Christi, Texas, uh, is pretty low. It's about $26,000. So a median household income is the total income of everybody that lives in that house. But an individual income is at about $26,000, which spells out to about $550 a week. If you make more than $550 a week right now, you're above the average in our city. Now, a lot of small towns in America are this way. Most every town, well, I would say every town battles some level or measure of poverty. Now, what I want to do is I want to break a poverty mentality right out of you today. I'm not here to just talk about money. What I'm here to talk about is you walking in wholeness and freedom and understanding that when God blesses your life, why he blesses you and how he wants you to think and process when it comes to finances and money. Because battling stress or anxiety related to money can extremely affect your life. When I moved to this town, I had a real difficult time living in Corpus Christi. I had lived in Miami, Florida, Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma before I moved here. And when I came here, I really struggled with a poverty mentality that I saw so many people have. There's people that didn't like the city. There wasn't pride for the city. And I had come from a city where uh, probably the median household income wasn't that much higher, Tulsa, Oklahoma, at the time. But people had a lot of pride for their city. They took care of their city. There wasn't trash everywhere. Uh, people really were excited to be there. You felt this sense of pride for the city. And when I came here, I had people complaining to me about Corpus Christi. I had people just couldn't believe that I would ever move to this town. I ran into a lot of negative, pessimistic people. And I saw a lot of poverty when I got here. And it was a struggle for me. I also really, really struggled with the fact that I couldn't find a good coffee shop when I got here. And I struggled with finding good community. You know, I wasn't hanging out at bars, obviously, and so I was looking for a place where people could fellowship and congregate, where I could get to know people, and that's part of the reason why I started the coffee shop. 
And really the ultimate reason why I believe we started this church is to build a family and a place where we can do life together. And I realized that if I couldn't find something that I wanted, then God put the mandate on me to build it. And he's putting the mandate on all of us together as a family now to build something for our future. But we're never going to be able to go where God's called us to go in transforming the city if we have a poverty mentality inside this church. So I'm going to break that. If you struggle with finances, we're going to talk about that. I'm going to help you to understand God's heartbeat when it comes to money and how you should believe, how you should think, how you should walk, and how you should trust the Lord for more. There are a lot of stress factors that come into your life when you're living below the average median household income or if you feel like you're in poverty or if you are in poverty. The first factor is it affects your, your sense of health. Most people, when they're battling money, they don't feel good about themselves, and they don't take care of themselves. So when you're struggling with finances, a lot of times what happens is you don't take care of yourself, or the last thing you'll do when you're sick is go to the doctor or get the medicine that you need, okay? So uh, when you're living in a, in a poverty mentality, or if you are living in poverty, it can be really difficult to get the health care that you need. The same thing goes with poor physical health. Your diet, your exercise, your sleep are all affected. Depression, addiction, crime, inequality, conflict, and an overall sense of feeling good about yourself are all affected when you're struggling with finances. What I want you to know is that money is the second leading cause of divorce, and it's a top cause for suicide. Extreme debt's a top cause for suicide. So it's a problem. People are battling their social status. People are battling their self-image, and it's often tied to the money you have, the clothes you wear, or the possessions that you have. Social media has fueled the fire of comparison, and we find ourselves living always vicariously through other people's lives or wanting to have more or what other people have or not being satisfied with what we have now. And so we can be envious or covetousness. We want what somebody else has instead of being thankful and content with what God has given us now. It's not that I don't desire certain things that other people have, but I learn to be thankful and great, grateful for where God has me now. I'm going to tell you a little bit more of my story here in just a moment. But mammon is an important word for you to know. The word mammon in the Bible just doesn't mean money. It means the pursuit of materialistic wealth and gain. And what happens is, is when you are pursuing materialistic wealth and gain, it becomes the Lord over your life. And the only way that you can break a poverty mentality or being dissatisfied or always wanting more is when you have true lordship in your life and you learn to be rested and satisfied with where God has you now. And I'm going to show that to you. If you were raised with fear and lack of money, it can affect the way that you process and how you see God and how you spend, how you give, how you trust, how you budget, and how you manage your money. So I was raised, in a sense, in poverty. My mother had to work two jobs while she left me at the babysitter all day long. That babysitter was in extreme poverty. I hated it. It was a miserable, miserable thing for me in my childhood. There were roaches in the cereal. There was no air conditioning in Miami, Florida in the summer. I would sweat all night long and stare out the window, wishing and dreaming for my mom to come and pick me up. I was raised in extreme poverty. I had a stepdad that came into my life that I spent a lot of time with, and ultimately, I wound up living with him, and he raised me, and he didn't have an extreme poverty mentality, but we also didn't make a lot of money, so he would have to work, 
And uh, I would be at home by myself until five or six every day, which got me into a lot of trouble. But we would go to the grocery store, and he would, he would teach me how to compare prices of food because we always had to get the lesser expensive food. One thing I can particularly remember is looking at the cost of cheese. And we always had to buy the, the cheapest processed cheese, not the Velveeta cheese. And we were always literally managing pennies when we went to the grocery store. Now, my dad would put the checkbook in my name when I was about 10 years old and have me write the checks out for the mortgage and for other bills so he could teach me about uh, being responsible with money. And I appreciated that he did that. But what he didn't teach me was that when I give back to the Lord first and I trust Jesus first, that God actually gives me an incredible ability to gain wealth. And so what happened was I found myself pursuing money, career, jobs, and succumbing to the spirit of this age that I had to go to college to get a career, to make a lot of money, to provide for my family. And biblically, that's not accurate. It's not that God doesn't want you to have a career or make money and provide for your family. What he wants is the kingdom to be first. He wants your priorities to be in line, but mine weren't. And so in turn, I lived this life of trying to measure up and perform, especially when it comes to work. So when I finally landed a corporate, any of the jobs I ever had, I worked so hard to be successful, and in turn, I wound up making money, but I became miserable. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a moment. So anxiety is tied to money, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. That's what I want you to know. Jesus and the kingdom of God breaks the poverty mentality. When you're in the kingdom of God, you get several things. Let me tell you the first thing you get when you get born again. Number one you get a new daddy. And let me tell you something about my daddy, and if you're born again, he's your daddy, is that he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. So he created everything, and everything exists because of him. So he has the ability to put into my hands anything he wants. And so when you come into the kingdom, a orphan spirit is broken out of your life. Poverty mentality and an orphan spirit go hand in hand. An orphan spirit is always having to fight to get what they believe they want or they deserve or need or preserve and protect themselves. But when you come into the kingdom and get born again, I now have a daddy that loves me as a son that wants the very best for me and knows what I need better than what I think I need. He knows what I can sustain. He knows what I can handle. He knows the seasons and the times of my life, and he gives me the ability to be faithful and to trust him with a little so that he can give me more over the course of time. Now, some of you, I see the billboard sign every week driving down the highway here, South Potter Island Drive, and I see the numbers of the lottery every week. Now, I personally do not buy a lottery ticket because I'm completely dependent. The Lord has got me in a place of total dependency on his process for my life. Now, if you go buy a lottery ticket and you win, you better tie 10% here. That's what I'm just telling you right now, okay? I'm just telling you my own personal conviction. Don't be convicted if you buy a lottery ticket. I, I really don't care. I'm just telling you that, that what was happening with me is I was always living in this fantasy dream world when I used to buy those tickets, that, I, that what if I won? And you know the statistics of most people that win the lottery, what happens to their life? Suicide, depression, drug addiction, they get robbed, they don't know how to manage it. 
And a lot of times you think that that money's going to set you free, but it won't. It can actually kill you. And what I want you to know today from a guy that was making $180,000 a year, which isn't a ton of money, and I'm going to believe for you guys to make more than that. It's not a ton of money, but you got to understand, I came from prison. I came from being raised by a single mom and then a single dad. I came from selling drugs and living on the streets. So don't think for one second that God doesn't do supernatural things. Because if he did it in my life, he can do it in yours. And if you're under my watch and under my care or under the sound of my voice and I'm in relationship with you, you are not going to live in a poverty mentality. And you're going to start to love and trust God to change your life. Because all I knew how to do to make money was to sell drugs. And if I hadn't gotten busted and gone to prison for a year, my life, I would either be dead or I'd still be in prison to this day. So God had a way of rescuing me. And then he taught me how to be faithful with a little. So what happened was I was making, the first job that I got when I got out of prison was table waiting. And I was an awesome table waiter. I was a rock star table. I'd run nine tables and close every night and pull two, three hundred bucks a night. I was, I was the, the, the voted the best. Actually, I won a contest for national sales winner as a table waiter, right? So I was really good at it. And then after table waiting, when I moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma to go to Oral Roberts University, I got a job at a computer software company for $15,000 a year, which spells out to about $7.50 an hour after taxes. But I was so happy to have that job because I wanted to learn a new skill and not be stuck in table waiting. So the job required me to sit in a little tiny office cubicle and call out on return business mail all day long. And I was miserable. And I said, Lord, this is a horrible job. I'm here eight hours a day calling out on return business mail. And you know what the Lord said to me? He said, son, if you don't chase after money, one day money will chase after you. Be faithful with where I have you. And let me tell all of you something right now. I realize it may be difficult for you and you may not be making a lot of money, but when you learn to be faithful with what you have and where you're at and trust God, God will always give you more. It's a promise in the Bible. It is biblically promised to you. When we hired people in the corporate world, when I finally landed the big paying job and earned my way up, the people that we hired were the ones that worked the hardest with the least. It wasn't the straight A students that graduated with all the honors. We look for work ethic. I'll never forget when I hired Quinn Pumala, who comes to this church. He and his family come to this church. When I hired Quinn, he was just graduating high school and worked at the McDonald's across the street. And he was their best employee. He showed up on time every time. And he worked hard and he cleaned and he never complained. He was a rock star employee at McDonald's. When I hired him to work for me at Coffee Waves, he became one of my best employees that I've ever had at Coffee Waves. Today, he's selling solar panels and he's, have, he's incredibly successful. He's married to Felicia. They have a new baby they just had. They've got a great home. And God is blessing his life because he's worked hard and been faithful with what God's given him. So what I want you to understand is stop complaining and start trusting. And I'm going to teach you today the things that you can do when it comes to lordship to break out poverty mentality or fear of money. Because some of you are really, really afraid of money or money has a hold of you and your stuff has a hold of you and it's killing you. Today, I have an incredible home. I've got a great family, and I don't make a ton of money. I get to supplement my income because I'm bivocational. I don't make a ton of money here, and I don't make a ton of money there. But when you put it both together, I have a comfortable life, and I'm thankful for what God's given me, and I've learned to be content. I have a friend that is a developer out in Port Aransas, once told me, a very wealthy friend, he said, I need $275,000 a month just to meet my personal budget. 
He said, you know what? You know what I would do to trade my life now for about $75,000 a year and to go fishing and drink coffee and live a simple life with my family in Port Aransas? Don't kid yourself, everybody. Don't think money is going to make you happy. Only Jesus brings true satisfaction, peace, and health and wealth to your life. Money can kill you. More money, more pressure, more responsibilities. If God gives you more, he gives you more because you've been entrusted with something to be a good steward with something so that it doesn't have a hold of you. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to have nice things, but he knows first what you need, then when you're faithful with what you need, and then you have desires for wants, whether it's a boat or a motorcycle or things like that, it's not that God doesn't want you to have those things. But what happens is, is if your heart's not right, your possessions will possess you. Mark my words, sleepless nights, depression, anxiety, pills, drugs, alcohol, all these things come in play because you can have abundance and be so dissatisfied. Look at so many pro athletes. You think, man, how could this guy ever have gotten busted for that or done that when he's got seemingly he's on top of his game and has all the money in the world? So what I want you to understand is that God never wants you to live in a poverty mindset. You got to own up to it. You got to, I'm going to teach you more about it in a second, but you got to own up to it. You got to break it. And now we're going to step into lordship. I mean, you're going to step into lordship. You hear me? Because I don't want you to stay where you're at. But I also don't want you to be discontent with sleepless nights and walking in fear. God did it for me. He can do it for you. Prosperity is a part of the kingdom. And prosperity is not just money. Wealth is a part of the kingdom. Wealth is not just money. But God wants you wealthy and prosperous. And you can make $35,000 a year and be on fire for Jesus and so content. And you can, I meet people all day long that live under the bridge or on the sidewalks. And if I can get them to trust God right where they're at, God can shift their situation. Just like he did for me and it's just like he's going to do for some of you. I'm going to snap you out of that thinking that the rest of your life you're going to make $500 a week, maybe if you're lucky, or $1,000 a week, and I'm going to get you to believe for more. So when I got that job working for this computer software company at $15,000 a year, I worked and served hard. God gave me that word, and in three years, I was making $18,000 a year. One day, my professor at Oral Roberts University became a great friend of mine, said, hey, I want you to come work for me. I said, all right, well, what are you going to pay me? He said, what do you think you're worth? I, I said, man, I, nobody's ever asked me what I'm worth. I said, well, I'm going to drive a big stake in the ground. He goes, go for it. I said, $32,000. He said, okay, you're hired. So I went from $18,000 to $32,000 a year. And it was right around that time that I really started to trust God in tithing and giving back to him. Now, my ties in those days, in the early days, were really small. In fact, I actually remember my very first time I ever tied to the Lord. It was 20 bucks. And when I gave that $20, I saw $100 come back to me. Somebody handed me a $100 bill in a conference at Word Explosion in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the first time I ever gave $20. I'll never forget it. And somebody that I didn't know walked up and said, hey, the Lord told me to give you this 100 bucks. So I started tithing. I was making $32,000 a year. In the first nine months... I brought in more sales accounts than that company had brought in in nine years. And I got promoted to a sales rep from a customer service rep. And my dear friend and boss at the time said, I'm giving you a $10,000 raise and promoted me to $42,000.
So I'm making $42,000 a year, and the Lord says to me, can you really trust me? I said, I'm going to trust you, Lord. Do you really believe that I have your best interest? I said, yes, I do, Lord. He said, then I want you to start, start tithing an extra 20% what you want to make the next year. Now, you have to understand, I'm a guy that came from prison, single parents, orphaned, abandoned, drug dealing, and my income from that point forward went up $20,000 a year. And in five years, I was making $180,000 a year. Okay, do you understand that? I only take credit to say that I did what God said to do, and I trusted him like a child. But I'm not that good, guys. I'm not that good. I don't think I'm that good. But Jesus makes you great. Do you understand that? And what God looks for is trust. Don't you believe that he can do it? Don't you believe that God has the best interest for you and your children, especially if you're a single parent? You need to understand that the Lord got an anointing on that. The Lord cares more about your children as a good father than even you do. The problem is we have a warped mentality of who God is. We have a warped mentality of how much he loves you and cares about you. And that comes from being raised in poverty or not believing. See, if you have a poverty mentality, not only does it affect you physically and how you feel about yourself and stress, it'll affect what you believe about God. So, for example, God wants to rock you and give you good gifts, but you'll feel unworthy and not good enough for him to do it. I never want my son to feel unworthy. I never want my son to believe that I don't have the best for him, ever. I never want that. I want him to have confidence that I have the best and I care for him and I love him. And I want him to be richly blessed in abundance. And I know that that's how the Lord feels about you. He cares so much about you as a good father. But if you have an orphaned, abandoned, poverty mindset, the way you view God will always be less than and inadequate instead of confidence and trusting that your identity is rooted in him. And he cares more about you. He loves you. And if we'll just put him first and trust him first instead of chasing after the things of this world, stop comparing yourself by what you have and what you don't have. Because if you could trust God when you're living in a trailer, if you could trust God when you're about to be evicted, if you could trust God when you're living paycheck to paycheck, if you could trust God when you feel like you don't know how you're going to make it tomorrow, if you could trust God when you're a college student barely surviving on, on the tiniest amount, God will move mightily in your life and increase you. It's promised in the Bible. God is not a man that he should lie. Do you understand that? Thank you. So I, I was making $180,000 a year, and I started complaining to the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm, I'm leading these youth at my church part-time. It's growing. I really love them, and I'm not enjoying the job as much. I said, Lord, something's got to change. And the Lord said, yeah, something does have to change. And I knew exactly what the Lord meant when he said it. He wanted me to quit the $180,000 a year job. I wrestled with the Lord for two months. Not a lot of people will walk away from that kind of income. But I had to answer a call. I had to say yes, and it couldn't be about the money. And that answering of that call was walking away from $180,000 a year for a youth pastor position for $30,000 a year. But fortunately, many years before I quit the job, God had given me a vision and a mission for my life. Here was my mission statement up until the day that I quit that job. To successfully, I had two mission statements. Here's one of them. 
to successfully lead and manage others in the business professional corporate setting while making a handsome salary to give away to ministry. Before I ever quit that job, when I was making the money, the Lord showed me the day was going to come when I was going to quit it and I was going to go into full-time ministry, but that I was to sow the money away while I had it because I was sowing into a bank, a spiritual bank, that I could reap from one day. And I saw it years and years and years of advance. If you could see what I'm teaching you now, if you could get it now, wherever you're at, if you have a lot or you have a little, that you trust God fully. Your life is not your own. Your money, your clothes, nothing is your own. Everything is because God loves you and has blessed you with what you have. And I saw it long before I quit the job that one day God would call me out, but I would sow into this bank the spiritual bank of the kingdom, and that God would bless me in return. And when I quit that job for and took another one for $30,000 a year, I walked in to get some eyeglasses from a guy that's a very good friend of mine now, Dr. Robert Zellner, and he was there. He didn't know me, but his daughter was in the youth group. I was about to be in lead full-time, and he called me up from one of his nurses, and he sat me down. He said, I have something for you, and he wrote me a $10,000 check and handed it to me. And I'll never, ever, ever forget that because my boss at the time knew I was supposed to quit. He saw it from the Lord. And here's what he said to me. He said, I see the hands of the Lord tied. I can see God's hands tied over your life. And as long as you maintain that job, this job, and you keep hanging on to this, he can't release his hands. But if you will trust him and quit that job, I will open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing that you can't contain. Now, I'm not saying that's your word. I'm just telling you how God led me. Okay, I'm not telling you, everybody go quit your jobs, all right? The point was, was it was so hard for me to walk away from the $180,000. But I trusted God with what mattered the most. And I said I would make the sacrifice for his children and his sons and daughters for $30,000 a year. And it was hard. Man, let me just tell you, it was hard at the time. But if you look at my life today, if you look, that was, the year was 2004 when I quit that job. And for two, another two years, I worked leading youth and building a ministry school, getting trained and equipped. And then God moved me to Corpus Christi, Texas. And I would only be here for about six months before Amber would walk in the doors of the church. And I would fall in love with her and marry her, and God would open up the door for coffee waves, and God would open up the door with our children and our family, and all the things that God has blessed us, it's all supernatural. I can't take any credit for any of this. Somebody called me and said, we're going to sell you the shopping center and owner finance it to you, and you basically can't say no, and I tried to say no, but when God was in it, I couldn't say no. You don't, I don't get the credit for anything except loving him as a good father, and I need you to understand the number one thing that breaks poverty mentality is to know that you have a daddy that cares for you and loves for you, and he wants to bless your life and shower your life. If I can only get you to trust him and live and believe differently and put him first, one of the fastest ways to break a poverty mentality is to be a giver. When I was making my money, all that money back, and I still am this way now, ask any of my baristas. It probably drives them nuts. I think I drive Francisco nuts and some of my baristas. Because if I'm standing at that counter, not every time, but most of the time, I'm treating people to drinks. 
And I give a lot of drinks away. I give gift cards away. I bless people's life because God loves a cheerful giver. And I, don't, I didn't deserve any of what I have. Why wouldn't I freely give away what God has given to me? And right where you're at right now, you can start doing that. To other people's lives, and especially into a family and a house, we all give together here of our time, our money, our energies, and our talents. We all give together. And so God radically blessed my life. The stories of, how, of what happens, incredible. Uh, a friend here in, Tulsa, in Corpus comes up and says, you should start a coffee shop in Port Aransas. And I said, well, you should loan me the money. He said, okay. Here's $100,000. Because I know who I am as a son. And when you become a son or a daughter in the kingdom, the Bible says you are a head, not a tail. Let's say that together. Say, I'm a head, not a tail. And that's not cockiness. That's not haughtiness. That's not arrogance. That's trust. Ask any business owner in this church right now that's successful. They've always trusted God and put him first in their lives. So you get a new father. You get a new family. You get, you get advisors and counselors and people that can help you. Get out of debt. Make good choices. Put God first. Be there for even just uh, emotional support when you're struggling. I can't hand money out to every single person that walks up at these front doors the church's not designed to be a bank. We're a spiritual bank, but my job's not to just dole out all, all of our money to everybody. We've got to be spirit-led. We have benevolence. We do missions. But really, we're building a house more than anything. This is much bigger than the food shelter. This is much bigger than a dream center. This is much bigger than just handing out money to the homeless because they've got to have a place to come see normal. They've got to have a place to come find family. They've got to have a place to come and see what extravagant worship looks like and to teach their children about extravagant worship. they got to have a, a place to come and meet you. You could be sitting next to a millionaire right now, and you don't know it. And a millionaire could be sitting here next to a homeless person, and they don't know it. Because that's the way the kingdom of God should work. Nobody gets special privilege because of the money you make. I don't check your tithe list twice to see if you've been naughty or nice. You understand that? Because I trust God with you and with your finances. And I believe that if you flame on spiritually and get led by the Holy Spirit, that you will put God first and give. That's what I believe. So the next thing is, is you get a new inheritance. And I'm just going to go there with this today. So you guys just hang on. You guys all right? Okay. This isn't in my notes, but I'm going to tell it to you. When I came into the kingdom and got a new dad and a family, I learned one of the most powerful scriptures in the Bible that I've been meditating on for the last week and a half. It's Psalm 16, and it's like verse 7 or 8. You can try to find it. But it says, David says this. He says, the Lord is my portion and my cup and my inheritance. Surely he has drawn the lines for me in pleasant places. You see, my blood father is a multimillionaire in Beverly Hills. We have the exact same name. You can Google it after this or right now if you want. And I always wondered why he didn't want me in his life and why he was never there for me as a child. My blood father abandoned my mother, my single mother and I. My Greek mother had me when she was 24 years old. 
And then my father, my blood father, hightailed it to Beverly Hills, California, and was, a, was very extremely wealthy. And I reach out to him and send him emails and pictures of my children. I called him. I've done all, I even went and visited him once for the first time when I was 28 years old. And to this day, he doesn't want anything to do with me. And for a long time, I really, really struggled. I never had bitterness, but I struggled because I didn't understand. And I also knew that he was extremely wealthy. And so in the back of my mind, I battled this thing of, well, I'm the firstborn. I have a rightful inheritance. And then the battle and the mindset back in the day was he's got a lot of money. Today, I could care less about the money. I would only want to know him because I love him, and I don't want him to die without him meeting his grandchildren and me getting somehow to build a relationship with him. You guys can pray for that for me because I want that. But to this day, he doesn't reciprocate. And you know what? I have a dad. I have a dad. And you know what? My inheritance, my inheritance is in him. I don't know. Look down the scriptures and find that scripture if you got your Bible. Five and six. You got to know this scripture. If you are battling in any way, shape, or form with your inheritance, a dad rejected you or left you, or you're feeling like you didn't get what you deserve, what you need to understand is that the our true joy and life and freedom and wealth and prosperity comes hidden in the heart of God. He's our Father. So the scripture says that he is our inheritance, our portion, and our cup, and he draws the lines for you in pleasant places. Lines have been drawn for me in pleasant places, and they're going to be drawn for you and you and you and you and you. Look at this. He maintains your lot. He's the portion of your inheritance in your cup. Look at verse 6. The lines. They fall, they fall in pleasant places for you. Your inheritance is not in a man. Your inheritance is in Jesus. Well, he's a man, but I, you know what I mean. Your inheritance doesn't come from your job. Your inheritance comes from the Father of heavenly lights who gives good gifts to men. When you come into the kingdom, you go from need-based living to faith-based living. Listen to me. When you come into the kingdom, you go from need-based living to faith-based living. You know why? Because faith moves the heart of God, not just your need. Does he have compassion on the needy? Yes, he does. But why, why are some nations in poverty and parts of our city in poverty? Why are some people in poverty in the kingdom and others aren't? Because it's faith that moves the heart of God. So when I tell you start believing for a new car, you better listen to what I say. When I tell you, you start to believe for an increase in your job, an increase for God, and, and an increase in your understanding and knowledge and stewardship of how to manage it and be a good leader, listen to me. I have great faith for every single one of you in this sanctuary. You better believe I pray for you. I pray for your finances. I pray for your health, your wealth, your well-being, and that you would be made whole, and that's only going to happen through lordship. 
You don't get around it any other way except through total surrender and trust to the headship of Christ. You got that, right? There's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to be the provider. And the typical lie of go to get the career, get the education so you can provide for your family, that's not the biblical pattern. The biblical pattern is tend and keep God's garden because he already made the garden and put you in it. And then he says, be fruitful, multiply, replenish, reign, have dominion. Then he says, I put a talent inside of every one of you. You have a gift of gold inside of you. You have a gift of gold inside of you. You have a deposit and a treasure inside of you. If I could get you to start and see the gold that God has put inside of you, no matter what your situation is, and you start believing in the goodness of God and what he's put inside of you, and you take your talents instead of keeping it buried, and you start to invest it into the kingdom and start to give away what God has put in you wherever you're at right now. If I can get you to believe that, God will double it up. Everybody say double it up. The parable of the talents. To one he gave one, to one he, the, the, the uh, landowner, the king, handed one talent to one, two to one, and five to another. And the ones with the two and the five doubled it up. But the one with the one had a poverty mentality and a wrong skewed view about God. They always go hand in hand. If you don't see God the Father for who he really is, you will see him as shrewd, harsh, and reaping where he did not sow. Meaning you did the work, not him. And you'll bury what God's given you. But when you step out of that orphan mentality and you start to trust him, you can't help but give away what God's. Because making an investment is not just money and investing into the bank. What he's talking about is taking all your time, your talents, and investments and advancing and fueling the kingdom and reproducing what's been put inside of you. You must reproduce Reuben. You must reproduce Kyle. You have an incredible call on your life from God, and you were birthed into something so you could understand how to go back to Egypt and rescue people out of it. That's who you are. You've got the ability and the street smarts to rescue the people in the darkest of the darkest places but you can't bury the talent. You've got to understand where it comes from, Megan. You've got to understand where it comes from, Renee. That everything you have, God has given you. Now you start to see yourself the way he sees you. One of the greatest prayers you could ever pray is, Lord, show me how you see me. Because I see myself skewed. But when I see myself the way he does, I see myself as a son that has a rightful inheritance, that he maintains my lot. And that he knows what I can handle and steward. And I'm not living in this constant wantonness for something I don't have tomorrow. I'm living in the fullness of today and thankful for what he's given me right now. You're going to break that thing of fear out of you. Because some of you are living in constant fear. Let me just tell you, it's robbing your sleep. You're always worried. You're never in the moment. You're always in tomorrow. Take it from a guy like me because I'm going to do this together with you. And you know what? You guys are going to get to grow up with me for the rest of my life. 
if you stay, and I will grow up with you and your kids, and my kids will grow up with your kids, and we're all going to walk in prosperity and wholeness and abundance. And that doesn't mean everybody's going to be rich money-wise. It means we'll all be rich in the spirit and content and fired up with what God's given us. And if he chooses to give us more, praise God. And if he says, stay right where you're at and be content with that, I'm going to stay right where I'm at. You understand that? It doesn't mean I don't desire for expansion. It doesn't mean I don't desire for God to give me more money or have raises. But what it does mean is I'm seeking first the kingdom and not the pursuit of the things of this world. That's what that means. So you start to live by faith instead of need. What do you think moves God's heart more, need or faith? The just live by faith. We walk by faith. We don't walk by what we see or the circumstances of the life around us. Instead, we trust God no matter what we're facing. The next thing is that God gives you a new ability. Everybody say, a new ability. Because you get the Holy Spirit. So now you get the creator of the universe living inside of you. So now he gives you strategies. He gives you abilities to invent things. He gives you abilities to be entrepreneurs. He gives you abilities to take over the company or get promotions. He gives you the ability to obtain wealth. And it's an ability that you didn't have prior I'll show that to you. Money is not the answer to peace, love, and happiness. Jesus is. Jesus is the answer, not money. In fact, more money can bring more pressure and stress when not stewarded right. You've got to steward, your, steward what God has given you. And a lot of people don't know how to do that, so we have, you have to be taught. Some of you never had parents that sat down and taught you how to budget money. Some of you have never been taught what it means to really trust God and to be faithful with the little. So you need to be taught that. So much of what we perceive about money comes from our belief system, hence a poverty mentality. Let me define a poverty mentality for you. Here's a definition. A poverty mentality is one that influences behaviors consistent with beliefs that money should not be spent that opportunities are limited and that any risk at all is dangerous. Any success is temporary and non-replicable. And generally, somebody with a poverty mentality remains in the back of the pack because it's the safest place to be. Not in this house. Because you are a head, not the tail. And God gives you to give away. God does in you so that he can do it through you. We're not going to walk in fear. We're going to start to walk by faith, and we're going to believe God, and we're going to say yes to everything he tells us to do. Opportunities are everywhere around us and will only increase. you got to be a risk taker. I'm going to take a huge risk. And you know what I'm saying? We're going to expand this church. You say, well, there's a bunch of seats in the sanctuary. Well, first of all, the children's ministry has been packed out. Second of all, we can't stay here because the cloud's moving, and God wants to expand us or we'll die if we stay in this spot. Expansion, I've taught the whole thing, the whole series. You can find it on the YouTube or the podcast. is called the Multiplication Mandate. Multiplication is mandated in the kingdom. It's called Reproduction. It's not about money and, and, 
and people sitting in a seat. It's about sons and daughters and a new generation and a harvest that's coming. It's about legacy. It's about eternity now. See, when you start to see that you're building for eternity now, you can't help but give away what God's given to you. The kingdom of God is opposite of everything a poverty mentality or poverty lifestyle represents. First, as children of God, you have to know that the Father knows what you have need of and what we can steward better than we know what we can steward. Hence the lottery example. It's God's good pleasure to give his kingdom to us. I'm going to show that to you. But Romans 14, 17 says this. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink, and everything that comes with the lifestyle of good food and good drinking or taking care of yourself. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is the kingdom of God. Not eating at Republic of Texas every night. Seriously. The kingdom of God is, I'll take a little Caesar's pizza all day long to hang out with Reuben and Chelsea or Lauren and Jeremy or Colton and Morgan or Kyle and Suji all day long over Republic of Texas because it's about family, righteousness, peace, and joy in the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not a huge Little Caesars fan. I'm more of a Domino's kind of guy. But what you have to understand is that the, here's the kingdom, is that we live upright before the Lord and keep the door shut to the things that bring shame. We got to get sin rooted out of our life so that we can hear God clearly. So we got to get you healthy so that you stop living the way that you, all, you lived in the past so you can start to hear what I'm telling you for yourself. Because sin will blind you and rob you, and then you live in shame and fear and worry, and you start to see God different than who he really is. So you're in this process of God getting you free. Everybody say, I'm getting free. I'm getting free. So you're in process. But once you get this mindset once you shut the door and you start living in righteousness, peace, and joy, which righteousness is also provided by Jesus on the cross, when you start to step in what he's already done, you're going to walk in supernatural peace and joy. Amen? Matthew 16, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth, rust, rats can chew it up, steal it. You know, I've had some of the most valuable things stolen from me. I've had diamonds that were my great Greek grandmother's passed down through the family line stolen at a worship night at my house from my bathroom. I've had gold jewelry that my mom had given me from a child stolen from me at, at that same worship night. I've had my car broken into here in Corpus more times than I can tell you. I've had people take all kinds of things from me. But you know what I learned is my treasure is not on earth. It's in heaven. And what does it mean to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven? What it means is this. It means my energy, my time, my pursuit is to know the heartbeat of the Father, to know what he has for me so I can give it to you. I'm constantly storing and building something up there because then what comes inside of me comes out of me. With the abundance of my heart, the mouth speaks. So the things I pursue and store up, you know, this, the old saying, what you behold or what you eat is what you become. You know, garbage in. That's right. So instead, what I'm focused on is the priorities of 
the kingdom with my eyes set on things above, not on the things of this earth first. It doesn't mean I'm so heavenly good that I'm no earthly good. What it means is, is I've made my vision, my single eye focused on what matters the most. Now I have the tools and the resources, and I'm reaping from where I have been sowing on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? So that's that understanding of don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. The same thing also means is that verse 20, Matthew 6, 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where nothing can break in and steal or take from you or destroy. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It also means this get eternity in your heart now. A big part of the conference that we're going to have is going to be about eternity. We're going to raise money for this church, and the whole mindset behind it in the card you were given today is living stones, building a resting place, building a home and a house together with God so people can experience family when they come in here. We're living stones. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. You're either going to hate one and despise the other, or love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and mammon. Mammon is the pursuit of material wealth and gain. It's not money. Money in and of itself is not evil. It's the love of money. That's the root. It's greed that becomes evil. So what I want you to know and understand is that you have two choices for a master or a lord in your life. Two masters. What are you going to choose? Master number one will keep you up at night, keep you stressed, has thorns, thistles, worry, stress, and you're never satisfied. And you're always working. You get up in the morning early, you go till late, and you're loving and pursuing wealth, gain, and money. Master number two brings peace, love, joy, rest, and confidence into your heart, and then brings incredible blessing to your life so that you can be a blessing to others because he fulfills covenant. Master number one always drives you. Master number two leads you by the Holy Spirit. So, we're, so the two lordships in that scripture, can you pull that scripture up or is it, is it not working? Matthew 6, 24. You cannot serve two masters. You have to have a despising hatred towards one and a love and a loyalty towards the other. Do you understand that? Even with a noble intention, here's a noble intention. I just want to make a ton of money to fuel the kingdom. Here's the problem with that statement. I've now said I'm going to make my pursuit making a lot of money with a noble idea to give it back to the kingdom. When the flip side should be, I'm going to pursue God with all my mind, heart, soul, and strength, and I'm going to be godly and content because I know great gain comes so that I can pursue the kingdom. Even with a good intention, it can kill you. So it's not that God doesn't want you to make more money. I want you all to make more money. But I want you to have lordship first so that the money doesn't kill you and you're not driven. And now you're stressed, anxious, and then I'm dealing with divorces. I'm dealing with abandoned kids, abuse, drug addiction, and all the things that keep me having a job every day. Really, that's, that's what, every day I'm dealing. I'm never going to be without a job. I just don't want you all to be part of that. And when new people come in and we get them healed, they get healthy to help the next people that come in. So we're serving the Lord first. Matthew 6, 25. So therefore, because of that, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. Don't worry about your body. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. 
Don't worry about your life. Let's just stop right there. Scripture says stop worrying about your life. But you can't do that if you're not rested. You can't do that if you're not at peace within yourself. And only Jesus gives real peace. Not anything else in this world. Only Jesus can give you true peace. No money, no drugs, no alcohol, nothing. No good job, no lots of money in the bank. Nothing brings peace to our lives like Jesus does. So don't worry about your life. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? And then Jesus goes on to say, look at the birds of the air. You know how much the Lord has taught me sitting by the water, hiking on a mountain, going to the hill country, looking at nature? I've had birds teach me more about the Lord sometimes than a preacher has because I'm watching how much they just exist. Look at the trees of the forest. Look at the lilies, the flowers. Look at God's creation. God's creation reveals the beauty and the wonder and the power of who God is, and that's what Jesus goes on to say. He goes on to say, you're so much more important than the birds or the flower of the field. And even Solomon in all of his splendor wasn't arrayed as one of these flowers. Don't you know that the Lord looks at you as more valuable? This is verse 26. Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? No, we can't. And worry and stress and anxiety is killing people. So I'm going to get you out of worry. Say, Pastor, you don't understand my situation. I might. And what I want you to know is that you don't have to be afraid when you have lordship in your life because fear is not from the heart of God. Verse 28, why are you worried about your clothes? See how the, the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor and spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Notice that Jesus says, O you of little faith. He ties into the fact that God wants to clothe you better than the lilies of the field and the grass and anything you see in creation, he says your faith is small when you don't see and realize that God cares more about you than that. Every time you look at an orchid or your favorite flower, tree, or anything in nature, always remember God cares more about you than that. Isn't that incredible? It's just what I do in my life to trust God and believe him for more. Verse 31, so don't worry saying, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? For the pagans run after all these things, but here's what I really want to show you. Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. Verse 32. Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So what he's saying is, look, I can't live in tomorrow. I've got to be present for today. Now, do I have a vision? Yes. Am I believing for something that God has promised? You better believe it. But I'm certainly not going to sit here and stress out about tomorrow. I have a lot of things I could be stressed about. With coffee shops, employees, the church, the responsibility, the shopping center, whatever it is that you have, you could always find something to be stressed and worried about for tomorrow. But what would happen if you really learned to rest in today? What would happen if the lordship in your life was so strong that you were totally confident God was going to take care of you and you were going to put him first 
and you were going to see the miraculous of the Lord in your life, something incredible would happen. Luke 12, 22, then he said to his disciples, therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, or about the body or what you're put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Luke 12, 29, don't seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. I wanted to show you this in this last bank of scriptures because anxiety goes right into fear about what you don't have or not having. Do you see that? That's the way the world lives. That's not how you live. That's not how you live. That's not how y'all are going to live. You know what we're going to do? Instead of being anxious about clothes and food and money and jobs, I'm going to put my hope and my trust in the Lord and be obedient to him and listen to his voice, and I'm going to watch him do what I could have never done in my own life. You're going to break that poverty mentality out of your life. You guys hear me today? Verse 32, don't fear, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you more stuff. It doesn't say that. Look at the scripture. Here's what God wants to give you. The kingdom first. Everybody say the kingdom first. first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added to you. It's his good pleasure, not his miserable design. He's not fretting, sweating, or worried. Everybody say good pleasure. pleasure. It's his good pleasure to give you what? You know what you get when you get the kingdom? Righteousness, peace, joy, contentment, rest, and the ability and the power to gain wealth. And I'm going to show that to you as we close here in a minute. So I don't want you to be like the world. Let's break anxiety out of you. There's a big difference between need and want. The Father knows and provides first what you need. And then based on your heart condition and mindsets, God will give you the things you want. I have a lot of things that I want. We have a lot of things that we just wanted, but we don't need it. But those things don't have me. Does your stuff and possessions have you, or do you have it? When your heart's in the right place, you could really care. It's just stuff. It's all going to, you know what, I can show you scripture that says all your stuff is going to burn in the end. Did you know that? You didn't bring anything in, and you ain't taking anything out. It's just stuff, people. It's just stuff. So, there's two reasons why we don't have either one, we're not asking because we don't believe God would do it, or B, we're asking for the wrong reasons. And the scripture is James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Where do your wars and fights come from among you? Don't they come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and don't have. You murder and covet and can't obtain. You fight and war, yet you don't have because you don't ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Notice the words desire for your pleasures and spend it on your own pleasures. We, we enjoy when we get to go camping in our camper and that can be pleasurable for us. Pleasure is okay when it's done in the context and design of the kingdom when God's first in your life. So I didn't ask, I'm not, I ask and care more about the things of the kingdom than I do the possessions that I have. So if I get the possessions, it never has a hold of me. My first desire more than anything is the kingdom of God. And those things that, have, that I have in my life don't drain me or pierce me because I want you to see this powerful scripture in just a minute about how the love of money and the pursuit of wealth pierces you 
with all kinds of pressures and stresses and worry and fear. All right? With true lordship, we take our gifts and talents, time and money, and we give them away. Thus, we gain more by investing and giving away what we have. But greed is the opposite. Proverbs 15, 27. The greedy brings ruin to their households. Did you know that? If you're greedy, you will bring ruin to your household. Say, well, I'm not greedy. I mean, I like to give. Look, God's standard of how we live and how we give is often different than the world's standard of how we live and give. And you can subtly be greedy. We're not tipping God like we tip a waiter at the restaurant. We don't tip God because he did something nice or he blessed us. We don't live a life because we're just going to give him some gratuity. And many of us tip God and we don't tithe. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't know who you are, so you don't feel any condemnation. I'll look right at you. I have no idea if you give or don't. It's a beautiful thing. So let me make it clear. I already know that a lot of people live their lives tipping God instead of giving back to him the tithe or the 10% or more. When you start to see God not as just a waiter who gives you good things, but as a father who loves you, who has the best intention, you can't help but give away a tenth or more. It's easy to do. I don't tip God. I give him my best because he gave me his best. And if you feel conviction on that, that's all right. Just start trusting him a little bit more than before. You know why? Because if I can get you to just trust with a dollar more, I'm okay with that. You're in process. I didn't get it all figured out right off the bat. I'm not here to beat you up. I'm just here to teach you that when you put God first, you break a poverty mentality, and God will lavishly give you more than you could ever ask or think. It's who he is. It's what he does. So it's a powerful scripture. He's greedy. For gain troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. Proverbs 21, 26. All day long the greedy craves for more and they're never satisfied, but the righteous give without sparing. Proverbs 28, 25. The greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. Proverbs 29, 4. A king with justice brings stability to his country, but the greedy will tear a country down. Ecclesiastes 5, 10. Whoever loves money will never have enough. Whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with their income. You know that? So we must not just be hearers, but rather doers, and put into practice the things that you're taught. Next week, I'm going to teach you a little bit more about breaking this poverty mentality by learning what it means to give and why we give and why we live lives as cheerful givers, what it means to not sow sparingly, but to sow abundantly. And it's not a matter of quantity. Get past that. Your abundance may be 10 bucks. Your abundance right now may be $50. It's not about the quantity. It's about your heart. Because look at the woman with the, widow's la- with the widow with her last mite. She gave her last mite, and Jesus said she gave more than even the rich because she gave out of her livelihood what she was dependent on. She said, my dependence, I'm going to give back to the Lord. I'll teach you more about that. But look, I've never taught on things like this in this church, but now's the time. Now's the time for you to understand how important it is that we trust God with what we have, we give away with what he's been given to us, and trust him with our finances. I'm going to leave you with a couple of final scriptures. 
If you want some good homework for later, read 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. Godliness with contentment is great gain. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But I want to show you this. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm going to close with these few scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse, actually, if you can go to 11. This is something that I've always remembered my whole life when it comes to being prosperous. And I want to teach it to you before you go today. Before the Israelites got into the promised land, right before they crossed the Jordan River, Moses gives them an instruction. And he basically says this. He says, when you get over there, it's Deuteronomy 8, starting at 11. He says, when you get over there, don't forget me. Don't forget what I've done for you. We forget by first not doing what he tells us to do and keeping his commandments, number one. His judgments, his statutes that he commands today, verse 12. Lest, when this happens, it's, the Lord is saying this is going to happen to you when you step into the promised land. He says, when you get into the promised land and you're eat and you're full and you built beautiful houses and dwell in them, verse 13. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, verse 14. When your heart's lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and he goes on to say that when you forget where your blessings and your promises come from, destruction will come upon you. And then he says this powerful thing in verse 17. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. I'm the one that worked hard for that. I did that. I got this great gain in wealth and the houses and the land. It doesn't work like that. The Lord's the one that blesses your life and gives, gives it to you. And look what he says in verse 18. Never forget this scripture. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you what? Why? To establish his covenant that he swore to the forefathers as it is this day. God gives you the ability to get wealth to establish the covenant promise that was made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. None of them were worthy enough or deserving. God in his love and mercy blessed them with abundant wealth. Do you know all the forefathers that birthed the nation of Israel and ultimately Jesus and now us grafted in, they were all wealthy. I'll show it to you in scripture. So God blessed their lives so that the covenant could be established. And then he goes on to say, so that when the nations of the world see you, they see God's hand upon your life. Who wants a nice, broke, busted, disgusted, sad, depressed Christian leading you to Jesus? Anybody? My life is so miserable, but let me just tell you how good your life could be. Don't look at my life. It's an oxymoron. You can't show somebody how to have an abundant life unless what? Come on, guys. Come on, sons and daughters. Start to believe with me that God gives you the power to get wealth to establish covenant on earth as it is in heaven. And you're going to see it happen for your life. Proverbs 21, 21, whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. Isn't that powerful? 
I love that. Whoever follows righteousness and mercy finds life, righteousness, and honor for themselves. And my last scripture is Luke 6.38. Fastest way that you can break poverty spirit is start to give away what God's given you. Give, and what will happen? Give, and it will come back to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure you use, guess what? It gets measured back to you. And it's not just your money. It's your time, your energy, your talents. It's serving. It's loving. It's working. It's reproducing. It's sharing the gospel. But it is also giving the money that God's given to you. We all give together because we're all building a family. We all pull weight together because we're all building something together as one. And so I want to encourage you guys from this message today, drive a stake in the ground, start to walk by faith, start giving, start loving, start trusting, start believing that God has the best thing for you. Walk by faith, not by sight. And be givers. Be givers, okay? And one of the ways that you guys can give is we're asking you guys to take this card home and to pray about it. Rock City Church needs to raise a million dollars in one year. We're going to build out a new children's ministry and a new sanctuary, and we're going to need about a million dollars to do it. We're asking 300 families to give $3,333 in one year, which is an extra $275 a month of a sacrifice, above and beyond your tithe. If 300 families, now some of you young adults and even some families, if you want to pull together, get together and do it together, that's fine. There's some people that could sponsor two or three families. I have friends that are wealthy that may write, write enough money for 10 families. I don't know the answer to that. But I'm just asking you to pray because we're believing for expansion, but I don't talk about it much. I don't really push anybody. And I don't want to do those things, but I gotta put something out there that puts a time frame on it. It's a goal and a strategy from heaven. And it's called Living Stones. And every family is gonna be sponsoring a brick that has names on it that say the harvest, legacy, the fatherless, the voiceless, the unborn. No, we're not putting anybody's personal names on there. You're, you're giving to the vision. You're giving to build a house. And so I'm asking 300 families to commit to this annual contribution for this next year so we can get this church built out. One way to really break that thing would be to step out in faith and to believe that God can give you the ability to do it, and I'll believe with you. So take this home and pray about it, and we'll give you more instruction on it next week, okay? Let's all stay. I'm going to pray for you all right